listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the bus driver inevitably cowering in the back while Slimer drives. Fun, fun. And I am Pace, and I am the painter of the portrait that replaces Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> nice. <sighs> If you're listening to this, the day it comes out, May 4th, mm-hmm. 2023, then we have a very exciting live announcement that will be coming out later today. Woo-woo! Live announcement! I don't think we picked a time for that yet. Maybe we should. We have not, but we can pick a time. We should, we should. Should we do it? When should we do it? Um... My guesstimate would be later is better. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Okay. 8 Eastern on May the 4th. Fancy, fancy. good to me. So, dear listeners. <laughs> so, dear listeners, if you are listening to this the day it comes out, please tune into our live announcement on our Facebook, and probably also on our YouTube um, channel at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, and 5 Pacific for an exciting live live announcement of some cool things coming up in the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say about it, except you should watch it, and it's going to be fun. You should, and you will get the sneak peek on what our next season is going to be if you have not already figured it out right. by now, because we are not good at keeping secrets that are not super important secret to be secrets. It's a super yeah. important, just the secret part is not. Yes, exactly. And I mean, why are we announcing our season six when we are i'm just saying why are we announcing season six when we're not even halfway through season five you'll find out in our live announcement because (laughs) there's a reason for that as well Mm -hmm. (laughs) there is indeed a reason for everything yep yep so anyway Mm -hmm. let me tune that tune into that i'm excited me too um beyond that I don't have any announcements. Do you have any additional announcements? Um, I do not have any additional announcements. Although, I guess at this point, it's coming up. You should definitely check out Nerds at Church's Ascension Day episode this year because it will, um, I believe it will dovetail nicely with our upcoming season. So keep your ears peeled for that. It should be coming out, I think, next week. Because I think Ascension is the 18th. Sounds good. Sounds good. 
should be coming out late next week. Yeah. But how are you doing, Pace? I am good. Uh, been a wild few weeks because we are recording this shortly after Holy Week. So you can imagine how busy that is for Emily and I working in uh, churches. Mm-hmm. But And you just preached a fantastic sermon. Oh, thank you. Apparently it was very well received. So I'm being told that but I had like at least 10 parishioners come up to me afterwards uh, to tell me that they want me to preach more often, like specifically saying that. Like I had a lot, even more than that, tell me how much I loved it. But like mm-hmm. I'm getting, now I'm starting to get calls to preach more regularly. I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, maybe the reason I can preach a really good sermon every time I preach is because I'm not doing it regularly so i have time to actually work on it but whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) that much aside it was still it was still nice i preached on easter to the doubting thomas and um i can link that in the show notes if anyone wants wants to listen Mm -hmm. because i talk a lot about disability and stuff like that and that and linking you should definitely link to to the risen christ show notes so okay okay um (laughs) how have you been good i'm actually thinking about starting a tiktok series called Roll for Sermon. I like based it. off of Roll for Sandwich, which is the original. And there's a bunch of like spin-offs of, spin-offs of that, but I think it'll be really fun. Maybe by the time this airs, I will have started it. But um, since I am preaching regularly, it, it will be a, a, a less regular series. But I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. Um, yeah. Have you been reading or watching anything fun lately? Yeah, I am still going through. I think we talked about this in our last episode when we covered um, Sixth Sense with Rich. but mm. And that was recorded about a month before this one. So in that month of time, like I still have been hyper fixating on all things Star Wars. So I have mm. read quite a few more Star Wars books than I have last time. I just finished season two of the mandalorian so i'm getting into book of boba fett and then season three of mandalorian before finally getting to the sequel trilogy um so Mm. that's all that's been like all consuming but just for our listeners out there the high republic uh is this big book multimedia project that star wars is lucasfilm and star wars and all them are doing started in 2021 um they just are in the middle of phase two of it is three phases that they're doing. Um, and buzz books, comics, uh, audio plays. They're even doing some live action, uh, TV show. They just announced all coming out to Disney plus based on that high Republic stage called acolyte. So a lot of cool stuff coming, um, with that. But I just want to say like, if you like me, if you are like me and also like Emily and appreciate, diversity in our sci-fi in a way that the original Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, the original Star Wars (laughs) and prequel trilogies did not have much of, you will greatly love the High Republic because there's queer characters, there's many characters of color. Uh, There are like a few Jedi characters that we follow, but there's a lot more like people throughout the universe who don't have special like wizard weird powers that this Mm -hmm. books follow and stuff. So it's just amazing i cannot recommend it high enough especially uh the 
young adult novels are part of that. The adult novels are really good too, but the young adult novels are especially queer because it, they're written by BIPOC and queer writers. So just mm. check those out if you like Star Wars and want some fun stuff to read, I guess. Yeah, that sounds really wonderful. We've been watching Mandalorian, the latest season as it comes out, and it is fascinating. Anyway, um, yeah, I think the last time we talked about what we were reading or watching, I was in the middle of the Trans Rights Readathon, and I am wrapping it up with Cemetery Boys, which is a great book for this season because it involves ghosts and is um, definitely queer, trans protagonist, trans author. Um, Yeah, I really am enjoying it. There's a love story because... Of course there is. Um, but yeah, so I've been finishing up Cemetery Boys and um, Susanna got me into Greenleaf, which is about like a black megachurch family. Um, it's fascinating. It like has sucked me in. There's four seasons total. Um, and I think that's from what Susanna said, that's how it was intended from the start. Um, so we're in season three. So there's, Yeah. It's dealing with some stuff. Cool, cool. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, I will also say, since this is a horror podcast, I should at least say one horror thing I've been doing. And <laughs> so I have been watching season, what is it? Season six of Slasher? Season, whatever the latest season of Slasher is, that's on AMC+. Plus which focuses on Jack the Ripper. I've only seen the first episode as of when this episode has come out, but uh, it's really good. And I've always loved slashers, so check that out as well if y'all have access to it. One of these days we'll do a Bluetooth one slasher, but um, we'll, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Emily needs a little bit more easing into certain horror stuff before we go slash it on our, <laughs> before we make our boot tubes super scary too because right now <laughs> our boot tubes tend to not be quite as scary yeah well we have boot tubes coming out i don't know what our we did boot tube what was our boot tube for the month of april our boot tube for the month of april is the stephen king uh mm-hmm. miniseries Red rose Red. rose rose Red. So, but now this will come out in May. So, who knows what our spooktacular boo tube will be? Yeah, it's Emily's choice to pick since I picked Rose Red. Mm. So, I don't even know what options there are. I know there are a bunch. I know I can't think of ghostly shows, but we'll think of some. Yeah, you will have probably time. Probably not going to do Vampirina. It's okay. Well, we probably could, but whatever. We could. There is an epi- There's at least one episode that like really zeroes in on Demi, but we'll find one. I really think we should do the haunting of Hill House for one of our boot tubes, but mm. that one will require. Okay. Maybe that will be our June one, so that way it'll give Emily plenty of time to start watching it because it's a mini series. Mm. I feel like our I listeners will be upset if we don't include that because it's such an iconic ghost show from the recent mm-hmm. few years. Anyway, we are covering Ghostbusters 2, came out in 1989, directed by Ivan Reitman. Uh, when was the first time you seen this movie? Surprising no one, take a shot. Uh, the first time I watched this movie was for this episode. Holy, 
Holy shit. I would never have guessed. <laughs> At least that I know of. It's possible that I saw, like, I don't know. The Ghostbuster movies are so iconic that, like, I was familiar with Marshmallow Puffy Dude before he was in the thing. So, like, I don't know. I think I've seen Slimer on the bus, but I don't know when or why. Sure, sure. You know. What about you? I first saw this movie, I do not know when. Um, came out on K-89, so I was four. But I do remember going, taking a trip to New York City, like a family vacation to New York City when I was six. So two years after mm-hmm. this movie came out, we saw a show, we, like we did the Broadway thing. We went up the World Trade Center, which still, the original Twin Towers existed still at that point. We went to Statue of mm-hmm. Liberty. We did all those things. And I remember being especially excited for a Statue of Liberty because of this movie. So I know I had to have seen oh. it before I turned um, six. So this is a boozy episode for everybody, yeah. myself included. Yeah, yeah. I got an early start today. So, and I will say probably because of that, like having seen this at a young age and going to New York and going to Statue of Liberty and all that stuff as a kid, I've really, this movie remains one of the more, is more nostalgic for me than the first Ghostbusters. And so this one, mm-hmm. that'll probably be evident in the rating of the movie and all sorts of things, just giving you all a warning now. I know a lot of people don't like this one as much, but I still... I liked this one, I think, maybe better. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, we'll get into some behind-the-scenes then of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the soundtrack. Suzanne and I were talking about it. It's a really good soundtrack. They had a couple of the, like, Billboard Hot 100s hits on it. Um, But the complete soundtrack apparently didn't actually come out until 2021. Makes sense, makes sense. Probably to tie in with uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, which we'll cover Mm -hmm. in a few Mm -hmm. weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie has a notoriously slow development. Um, It was in development, hell, pretty much ever since the first one came out. Many people are wondering why... Uh, may wonder why this movie took uh, six years to come out after the first one. Well, Mm -hmm. it was so popular, they wanted a sequel right away, but the actors were reluctant to return. The script never fully gelled. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Putnam was put in charge of Columbia Pictures, and he favored small budget films as opposed to big budget uh, blockbusters. So there's like a whole bunch of things kind of going on at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. But after David Putnam was replaced by Don Steele, she kind of fast-tracked it into development. And so they were able to get the actors all together in the same room. And they had enough fun just, like, hanging out and stuff that they all kind of signed on to come back for the sequel. Even though, especially, like, Bill Murray at the time was very reluctant and stuff like that to return. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh but because the script never fully gelled, and also because they wanted to get it out really quick, um, especially because at that point it had been six years, and Ghostbusters had by this point turned to a TV show, a toy franchise, like a cartoon series. Like it, Ghostbusters was huge, so they're really trying to capitalize on that. Um, so mm-hmm. they gave it, once again, a very short production time for this film, just like the first one. Um, mm-hmm. but in test screenings, they realized that like 
it wasn't coherent enough, so they had to do a huge amount of reshoots. They also intentionally made it a little bit more family-friendly, so a lot of the humor is a little bit more mellow or toned down, less swearing and stuff like that than the first one. Mm -hmm. They also included Slimer um, because he was a character that really resonated with the kids, so they brought him into the movie, even though there's not really a purpose for him to ever be there. So those, those are kind of the... Excuse me, driving the bus is a very important <laughs> Yeah, he was originally in the film even more, but they ended up cutting out a fair amount of scenes with Slimer just mm-hmm. because they felt that it had distracted from the plot too much. So, But he's still in there for a few. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the backstory of this one. And then after this movie, we will, when we talk about Ghostbusters 2016, we'll get a lot more into the development hell that a third Ghostbusters movie was in for nearly two decades. So over two Mm -hmm. decades even. Yeah. So like there's, so you'll hear all about what happened in the aftermath of that film, uh, this film, Mm -hmm. the next one. I just had a thought. I didn't realize there was a Ghostbusters TV show. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked about this several times. You cannot blame me on for this. I believe you. I talked about it in the last episode, too. But yeah, real Ghostbusters. I believe you. I just <gasps> didn't make the connections. Yes, we should do real Ghostbusters as our boot tube. That's perfect for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do I, we have a way to watch it? Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. It is like 80s. TV shows where, like, each episode is its own self-contained story. There are seven seasons, so we don't need to watch all seven seasons. But I can pick out a few, because, of course, I've seen the TV show before. I can pick out a few that are good to cover. Perfect. There we go. May Bootube, Real Ghostbusters. You heard it here first and not even in our announcements. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Um. Yeah, so with that, we'll kind of roll our way through the film. Um, the It starts out with, you know, pink goo, which is different from the, like, creamy, clearish stuff that was frequently the goo, the ectoplasm used in the first movie. Yes, because the pink goo is not, in fact, ectoplasm. It's a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, different. Uh, also, a runaway baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I it is fascinating to me, like the the way that the pink goo, the pink goo, like everybody's really testy and all of that stuff, but then also like that the pink goo, I, I don't know, like why do that with a baby and then leave the baby safe and alive and I don't know. <laughs> yes, seems like this yeah. film was not very well thought out. Almost <laughs> hmm. weird. I do, yeah. I do think it is Dana's backstory is interesting. So. At some point after the first film, like she and Bankman dated for a little bit. It didn't work well, as she said that. Surprising no one. Exactly. As she said that after he started introducing her as his ball and chain is when she decided to leave him. So definitely sounds mm-hmm. like an asshole there. Without like, ever like wanting to get married. Yeah. Like, so just mm-hmm. kind of continuing. No surprise there. Just continuing his asshole antics from the first one. Mm-hmm. But she married some guy who and had a kid with him but either before the kid was born or shortly after he accepts a job in europe and she stays in new york leaves the Mm -hmm. orchestra temporarily to work 
in a museum restoring paintings because those are skills that go well together playing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and go really well with a baby yeah because that was her reasoning she wanted a job that she could be more around for her kid and somehow that is working in the metropolitan museum of art i don't know yeah so i i never really fully understood her backstory or what all is going on it's clear that they needed a baby for this plot and it's clear that Dana is the only one of only two women in the last movie would be the one to have the baby. Mm-hmm. So it feels like they just kind of piece this and together. And it's clear that she and Venkman would not be together for, yeah. Well, not just All that. I mean, it, yes, it's clear because of their characters because he's awful. But also, this is a thing that Hollywood does because they do not understand how to show relate like they feel like sustainable relationships yeah so like in order for there to be romantic tension in the film you need to restart the characters back at ground zero and we see this in every james bond movie we see this in like Mm -hmm. there's so many movies where it's like the romantic leads as soon as the movie ends like as soon as the sequel begins are somehow rebooted back to the beginning Mm -hmm. so they can have that romantic tension again as All of the Bourne movies within the first, except for maybe the first one, within the first like 10 or 15 minutes of the movie, the woman dies. The main woman dies. Yep. See, exactly that. So, but yeah, also, who would have ever guessed that Venkman and Dana would br- break up? Pretty much everybody who watched the first one. So, yes, <laughs> that's also true. Mm-hmm. I also really love Egon in this one. Mm-hmm. He just has some like fantastic lines where it's like, my parents didn't believe in toys. <laughs> we had part of a slinky, but I straightened it. Like, yeah. I do like Egon, but he's a little bit like much, uh, especially like when he's doing the experiments on the couples without their consent in the beginning, the relationship yeah, that's bad. counseling stuff. And then like he, the way he delivers the news about, Venkman to Dana he delivers purposefully cold and then also takes the readings of her when she turns her back on him so he can test her stress levels and stuff like come on (laughs) come on Egon Mm -hmm. she's your friend you you shouldn't be running experiments without her consent on her too Yeah. yeah I think in the first movie I thought Venkman was the main um the main one, like, leading the fake and unethical experiments. And then now I'm like, well, maybe it was, maybe Egon was a, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will say watching this movie has only confirmed my thoughts that Ray and I are in <laughs> many ways the same person. He definitely is giving off string ace vibes and str- strong ace vibes and strong neurodivergent vibes in this film, which is pace. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, mm. I loved the court scene of <laughs> like the judge just being so pissed. The Scolari brothers. Mm-hmm. Also, like. Okay, the pink goo is not ectoplasm, but somehow it still resurrects the ghost. So ectoplasm is produced by ghosts. So when ghosts Mm -hmm. haunt something, they leave behind ectoplasm. 
Whereas mm. the pink goo, which is called um, psychomagnotheric slime, is response responds to human emotions and when picks up strong enough emotions can open portals to the afterworld. Oh. So it doesn't just have to be so it doesn't just have to be the um the the like anger emotion. It could be like arousal or delight could also open portals. Possibly. I they definitely make a big point about the effect that the anger of New York, a notor- notoriously kind of crabby place where <laughs> kind of crabby New Yorker personality is having on the slime. But it definitely seemed, as as shown throughout the film, like the sl- slime reacts to all sorts of emotions. So the stronger the emotion, the more it reacts, including the portal opening, I would. Yeah, the well, and I guess I interpreted the opening scene with everybody being crabby as like not just like New Yorkers are all crabby but like something is making people extra crabby today because I have lived in New York a couple different summers and like there's crabby but like not like this yeah it's uh, both and because there's that one scene when they come out of the tunnel they're all mad at each other and they take off their clothes because the slime was influencing there so Yeah, it's yeah. a both end kind of thing. Yeah. But I, so what I, part of what I love about the courtroom scene is like, is the discovery of the slime and stuff and the Scaleri brothers that are not happy with the judge, um, which like I wouldn't be either if the judge sentenced me to death by electric chair. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when the, when the judge is like cowering under the table with the Ghostbusters um, and like screaming because he's scared, Egon's like, why don't you just tell them you don't believe in ghosts? And right. it's like, yes. Like so often where it's like, we don't believe in this thing. Just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right, right. And also, just since we're on this subject of the justice system being all sorts of fucked up and unjust in this country, that's kind of also mm-hmm. displayed here by like this the weirdness of the trial from beginning to end. But all, and then also just the white people being incompetent. So, like mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters, three out of the four are white. They hire their incompetent white nerdy friend with some tax law knowledge to be their lawyer as opposed mm-hmm. to like doing research and finding right. someone who actually would be good okay. at it and who stuff. Knows? So it's yeah. just like, come on, people. <laughs> yeah. You can do better. Well, and, um, and part of it, like, part of it is um, Hudson's character. Uh, what is his name? Which one? Winston. Winston. Oh, yeah, Winston. Yeah. So part of it too is Winston wasn't there doing all of the stuff that the other, that the three white guys were, but still somehow he's involved in the like court proceedings and stuff. And it's just like, okay, the three white guys do this thing, mm-hmm. and the black guy still gets in trouble. Right, right. Ugh. I did like when they got their weapons and they were doing it, and they were like, "Do re Egon." <laughs> right. Love it. Love it. It's cute. 
Um, I so there's a pinball bar in Minneapolis called Lit Pinball, and they have the Ghostbusters pinball machine. And one of my favorite um, things that the machine will do is start off the courtroom sequence, and the Scolari brothers would appear, and you have to like hit them with the pinball and stuff. Very fun. I love that. Love it. Love it. Uh- Speaking of the slime, though, when they're then experimenting with the slime and insulting it, do you have a favorite slime insult? I do not. What? They're all kind. Of, they're all very. They're all very nerdy. I know. I egocentric. Know. <laughs> well, not all of them. Some of them are Some Ray. Them yeah. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> I my favorite was you have a weak electrochemical bond because it's such a like slime specific scientific insult. I, my favorite moment in that scene, though, is when it is revealed by Venkman that Ray is sleeping with the slime. <laughs> of course, it would be Ray, yeah. too. And of course, Ray giving off those ace vibes, it wouldn't be anything sexual, but it still is that look, sheepish look of embarrassment. And so I just love that whole scene. Yeah. Uh. I did not realize they're like when they're in the dinner thing, it feels. Both that scene and one of the scenes, and the scene where um, Tully gets possessed by the dog, both are like reminiscent of the 2016 scene where the mayor's like out to brunch or whatever, and they're like, ah, the ghosts are here, and they can't find the door, and they're yeah, like, yeah. and then they're like, you're scaring the straights. <laughs> you are the straights, but also yes. <laughs> How easy it is for us queer people to scare the straights and how easy Mm -hmm. it is for us to do it intentionally when we want to, too. Yeah. I guess this is getting to kind of the MacGuffin of the thing, which is the... Remind me what the MacGuffin is. MacGuffin is the thing that makes the plot go. So, like in Indiana Jones, it's the lost Ark of the Covenant. In this movie, it is... Vigo wanting to be resurrected and in mm-hmm. order to do with a baby in order Always to do the that babies. he needs a baby he's also somehow responsible for the slime it's not very clear but there's definitely a connection between the portrait and the rivers of slime and stuff mm-hmm. so it's there's almost that. like there's a giant plot hole yeah so okay the, the, this movie yeah that happened yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah, you know, and then nobody notices at first the like pink slime encasing the entire Metropolitan Museum of Art. Right, right. But because why would we? I but as a kid, you know, this is kind of the most memorable thing to me is making the Statue of Liberty come to life with the slime, playing your love is lifting me up higher and higher, and just walking the Statue of Liberty through <laughs> New York to break into the museum love that scene granted it's kind of a retread of the original this marshmallow walking through the streets of new york now we have the statue of liberty we get it but still it's fun i like it and the statue of liberty is a force for good it's impressive to me that they figure out how to control the statue of liberty not just like animate it as a force for good but like yeah Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah they go from understanding that that song and positive emotions can affect the slime and make a toaster dance to 
somehow being able to control the Statue of Liberty with a joystick very quickly okay. and all off screen. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Also, side note, I love that Slimer gets their own credit in the credits. Aww. I'm just jumping ahead a little bit. Yeah. I think yeah. it's delightful. I kind of wish that the baby, if they're going to pull a baby in, I wish that the baby had been like, I don't know, done the like boss baby or whatever, where like the baby think, has a role to play. I think that would have been cool. Aww. But that's because babies are awesome. <laughs> yep, yep. I guess anything else for our, our walk through, roll through of the plot, or are we ready to get into our deep dive? I think I'm good with a deep dive. Sweet. Deeply diving, diving deeply, deeply diving, diving deeply. You're welcome. So, this movie. This movie, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just to say, I think there's. The way that it plays on emotion is fascinating to me mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it basically binaries emotion, right? You like uh, your the only yeah. emotions that actually act that like they talk about and use to activate the slime are anger and like delight. Yeah. Um, and, and then some like slight allusion to <laughs> the possibility of arousal, but it's just like there are more emotions than that and also that binary category making one a bad emotion and one a good emotion even though Mm -hmm. no emotions are bad it's how we act on them that can be bad just emotions (laughs) yep yeah yeah so that that was really interesting to me to just think about like the way that and that happens all the time right Mm -hmm. even in this conversation there have been times where like my brain has to remind me to not say the negative emotions, right? Because it's not negative emotions. It's just emotions. But we're so trained that anger is always bad and negative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also love how the goo made people angry at one point in the film, like made them more angry and they fight each other. But then they were hit Mm -hmm. by positive goo, positive using that binary again, the positively charged goo. And that made them all queer or something. Like Ray and <laughs> the doctor are going around. Yanish are like, I love you and I love you to everybody. <laughs> so it's like, is this implying that everybody is at least a little queer? And it's like, and once we get enough positive like goo to push back, push down our barriers, our true queerness comes out. Or is it saying that the goo makes them queer? I don't know. Either way, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it reminds me it reminds me a lot of what's happening right now, right, with all of the anti-trans legislation and then also like the role of drag in reality is like to transform something for which a lot of people are like discriminated against or pushed down about into this thing of delight. And um what was the show? There was a show that we were watching that was, I think, on HBO that was like Bob the Drag Queen and Alexa. We are here. Yeah. And the way that that show in particular was transformative for communities where even in the midst of the show, you can see the like threats that they faced and like the ways that people were just so cruel about it. And then they still 
did the drag shows and it brought communities together in really beautiful ways and lifted up the people in those communities who were already amazing. Very queer. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, that's the other thing about Venkman. Like, he doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit about anybody. But then also he, like, lifts up voices. You know that, like, the Bassmasters and the world of the psychic would definitely be QAnoners today. Like, and he's, like, giving voice and recognition and amplifying. But that, that's the weird cultural shift that has happened, too. This is something that on Ono, Russ, and Carrie, they've talked about a lot, too. Um, shouting out to our guests from our... Um, Jesus Camp episode. Friends of the podcast. Yeah, but Ross and Carrie. But like, um, when this movie came out, that kind of kooky spirituality, I say in air quotes, was associated with liberals. And so mm-hmm. like Ranola Bar, mm-hmm. Berkeley type people who live in Berkeley would all be doing their tarot and spirituality and spiritual cleansing and pretend they're psychic stuff. Now... That now, like Ross and Carrie have commented on a lot of their investigations over the course of the past 10 years or so they've been in podcasts, it started being a lot of like more left-wing people who were kind of embracing pseudoscientific cures for stuff and all that. And now Mm -hmm. it's more right-wing people who are embracing those cures and push and falling to QAnon and pushing anti-science agendas and stuff like that. So it's just very fascinating. So like I 100% agree those would be QAnon folks now, but when this movie came out, it was clearly more of like a liberal granola Berkeley. Yeah. Which makes sense because like 1989 is like the end of Reagan's era. And so like most of the production. Mm -hmm. Bush senior was in president 1988 to 1990. Yeah. Yeah. But that, so that, that makes sense that it would be that kind of a dynamic. <sighs> Reagan. Everything always goes back to Reagan. Just messed so Right. On purpose. Right. I will, like, my one kudos for Venkman is he chose a date instead of a last minute ghost busting. And as someone who works part-time and in the church, like there are so many demands that like the church makes and it's like, okay, good job on boundaries. Like an urgency on someone else's part does not necessitate an urgency on your part. And if you had plans, those are important to follow. Um, Granted, this was like the end of the city kind of like the actually big deal. And they still found him, which frequently happens. But um, it was a good like attempt at boundaries, and I it, I applaud that mm-hmm. whenever it happens. Mm-hmm. An urgency, in fact, uh, is one of the oh, I'm blanking on the name, but the I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes. So the science, the ways in which white supremacy uh, mm, um, yeah. works in workplaces specifically, and. So urgency is one of those to create fake urgency, which distracts from like real issues. Um, so that's mm-hmm. all part of whiteness. Yeah. Aren't isn't white culture great? I say with all the sarcasm. Sarcasm. All yeah. the sarcasm. Like, yeah. Um, I will say the the last kind of theological thing I have for this, there isn't much. This movie is kind of like 
in many ways, the plot is a retread of the first one. And then, but like watered down a lot. So there's not quite as much as we had for the first one. But the Statue of Liberty as a symbol and ambassador of goodwill kind of, uh, I love that idea. I also love that the Statue of Liberty, what the ways in which it serves as a cultural icon for this country, for New Yorkers, but for this country as a whole, in a way that like undermines our country's stated values. And so I always Mm -hmm. have loved that tension of like the Statue of Liberty actually stands for liberty and anti-slavery and like making Mm -hmm. sure people are welcome to this country and all this stuff like that your huddled masses yearning to be free exactly yeah and then and that's not at all how our country operates so i just love that that juxtaposition and how this kind of played on a little here too yeah i think it's the statue of liberty is fascinating so i as i mentioned spent a couple summers in new york um, in college and then in seminary. And um, when I was doing my CPE, my clinical pastoral education, instead of doing it in a hospital, I did it at the, I, I worked as a port chaplain for it at Port Newark and Port Elizabeth in New Jersey. And um, we would sometimes take seafarers who were in, um, who were at, in port, um, if they wanted to, to like see the Statue of Liberty and stuff. And it's just fascinating to me the ways that like so many of the great symbols of New York, aside from the Statue of Liberty, are really just symbols of capitalism. Like even looking at the twins, the Twin Towers, like they're literally world trade centers. Um, and, And yet they like are said to symbolize the United States in these like huge ways. And the reality is like the spirit that so many of us wish were the actual spirit of this country. And and like I would be much more patriotic if we lived out what is written on the Statue of Liberty than some of the stuff that's written in the Constitution. Because mm-hmm. it's like some of the stuff that's written in the Constitution is really shitty. And so there's just this like juxtaposition and like tension there of like what Emma Lazarus wrote, that poem mm-hmm. at the base of the Statue of Liberty is so powerful. And yet it just gets so wrapped up in nationalism right now and like draped in the flag. And 100%. She, yeah, she deserves better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. Um, that's all I got from my deep dive. Me too. Um, ghost lore, I think the only thing is ectoplasm, which is not ectoplasm because I'm paying attention to things. Um, the, as you said, psychomagnotheric slime, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which can be charged for anger or delight, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And more relevant to the ghost lore. Opens portals when charged enough. And yeah. also... Paintings can be possessed by spirits of evil dead that can also transfer their possession into other people to do their bidding and also be reborn in babies somehow. So all that's going on too (laughs) with the ghost lore. It's a weird movie. I still love it. (laughs) It's just so weird. 
Yeah, it is such a bizarre, like, as we're talking about it, my, my rating of it actually decreased a little bit as we were talking about it. And I was actually like thinking more critically about it. Um, Cause yeah, it is just this like hodgepodge of a few things from the last Ghostbusters and yeah. So I am going to be intrigued to see what you rate it. And I don't remember what I rated the first Ghostbusters. So it'll be interesting at the end of the season to see <laughs> how they compare because I'm not paying attention to comparing them yeah. to each other, just like rating individually. So Pace, how many out of 10 proton packs are you giving it? I'm going to give it Do, Re, Egon, seven, seven proton packs. And my favorite Kill. There aren't really any kills, so we can do favorite ghosts again. And this one, I will give it to Slimer. When he shows up, it's fun. So, no, I take it back. The Scolari brothers. The Scolari brothers are my uh, favorite because of the way they haunt the judge who was already being yeah. evil. What about you? What about you? Um, I also, okay, I will say Bankman is good with the kid. He's great with kids, weirdly. <laughs> Maybe because yeah, he is a kid is, himself. Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Which throws me off because then it's like, okay, you can see them like probably getting back together. But like, he's less of an asshole? Slightly? I don't know. Um, So I think I will give it, I'll give it a seven too, I think. Um, it's not, it's, obviously not the best Ghostbusters film because we haven't gotten there yet. Um, but there's some good stuff. There's some like redemptive things about Bankman in particular. Um, and Dana has a little bit more power and agency, it seems like. Um, there's still some like misogyny and all the things, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. And if we were doing favorite haunting I would say the Scolari brothers haunting the judge. But um, if it's favorite kill, which there weren't really any, or favorite ghost, then, of course, I'm going to go with Slimer. Because Slimer. Perfect. You rated the first one a seven as well. So this is right in line with that. Right. All right. What did you rate the first one? An eight. So this one's a little bit less for me. As far as nostalgia goes, this one I still Mm. like more than the first one. But the first one, like, as a movie, is a little bit more coherent and makes more sense than this mess. (laughs) Decidedly. So. um, And I did not. Yeah. yeah, And I didn't jump at this one. Sweet. Sweet. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our next movie I'm really excited for. It is The Mm -hmm. Devil's Backbone with. Uh, Pastor Abel Traverso, who has been on this podcast a few times, so I'm excited to have mm-hmm. them back for this one. Yeah, me too. I don't think I don't think Abel and I have been on. Yeah, they've only the ever same been episode. My, they've been a guest for one episode, and then they were my guest co-host for two episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or three episodes. So yeah, and they did, they did some BooTube stuff too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. But this will be fun to have Emily and Abel team up for one. Yeah, I'm excited. And the movie is in Spanish. I wish we had had Spanish subtitles instead of English. But um, yeah, I love Spanish language. We sang 
a song in Spanish on Sunday in church. I was like, yes, I missed this. Yay. Oh. Anyway. It's a, we've already seen the movie. We're recording stuff weird. Um, Holy Week, we'll do that to you. But um, mm-hmm. I love the movie, so I'm excited to talk about it. It's going to be a fun episode. Yeah. I might try and watch it again before, since we have a bigger gap than anticipated. Yeah. I usually watch the movies we cover twice. This one I did not. Mm-hmm. I did not watch Ghostbusters 2 a second time before we covered it, but most of the other ones I've watched twice. I've mostly been watching them once. I watch it. It's the first time. I watch it once with Emily, and that's kind of my. I'm watching it with somebody who's, because it's Emily, never seen it before for almost every movie we've covered. <laughs> so I can kind of get a live gauge of my reactions, of Emily's reactions, without like getting too deep into it. Then I watch a second time to like take detailed notes and stuff. And that's mm. kind of my process. For those of you listeners who actually care about the behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> But um, anyway, that's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, BooTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up to be a horror nerd which is much cheaper than uh, paying bail bonds to get out of prison when you've been going against a restraining order about ghost hunting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's also cheaper than tickets to the Met, except that the Met lets you pay whatever you want. Yes, yes, true. Suggested suggested donations. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, much cheaper than trying to get into the Met when it's covered in pink slime. <laughs> Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horror at Church and Twitter at HNACPOD for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, are you gay or did you just get slimed? <laughs> I love it. Yeah.